Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Robert Grigor. He's talking about why you need therapy. That's right. He's the author of a book called You Need Therapy. He's a registered clinical counselor. He's a certified EMDR therapist and approved EMDR consultant. He's an author. He's the owner and founder of Grigor Counseling. I really enjoyed today's episode. We're talking about mental health and how you can really activate and elevate your own humanity by having the right perspective on mental health and more importantly, by taking the steps you probably need to take to be happy and fulfilled on a day-to-day basis. I love today's episode. I think you're going to enjoy it too. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Hey, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. Man, I'm bringing you some good advice today. I got my friend Robert Grigor with us today. He's a world-class mental health expert. He's also a registered clinical counselor. He's the author of an amazing book you need to go pick up today. It's called You Need Therapy. Robert, I cannot wait to dig into who you are and what you do for a living. Welcome to the show. Man, thank you so much for having me, Blake. And uh, I I want to thank the listeners too for having me in your head right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, am I gonna? I'm. I, I don't know if I should be nervous or worried, or because it seems like, man, you're pretty good at picking up on what's happening beneath the surface and really just just giving people as much help as, help as possible. It's definitely what I want to do is give as much help as people as as I possibly can. But you know, don't worry, I'm not going to analyze your. Like <laughs> at least not on the at least not on the on the episode at least. So. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit. You're you're the CEO of Grigor Counseling. You're running this business. Uh, I was looking at your press kit, just seeing some of the the commonly things that you you focus on. And man, I love the book title. You need therapy, which which it feels like that. I, I would guess you you get to use that more than maybe people are expecting because um, there is a bit of a, uh, what's the word for it? Um, not a stereotype. Uh, stigma. Yeah, stigma. Thank you. There's a bit of a stigma around therapy. Talk to me a little bit about what you're doing for a living and how this book came about. For sure. Thanks so much. For, yeah, you're right. You know, there is a stigma and you know the, the book title, uh, You Need Therapy. I say that tongue in cheek because I believe everybody needs therapy. So uh, myself included for sure. But um, you know, I've, in my, in my business, I I've come such a, such a long journey to get to where I am now. And I'm, there's such a long way to go too, which I think is pretty standard for everybody. I think that's really the path. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the book really started off as, uh, as just a passion project. You know, I just wanted to, to get the, the, the word out about a type of therapy that, uh, that I use, that I'm trained in, and uh, that I really value called EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Long names, so we just shorten it to EMDR. Um, 
but you know, my, my history as a psychotherapist had been, I've been providing talk therapy for so long. Um, and also a, a client in talk therapy. So I had over about five years or so working with a therapist. Um, it was a great relationship, but, um, what really I couldn't deny is that I didn't really get better. I didn't solve my issues. I didn't, <laughs> I often joke because after every one of my sessions with my, with my therapist, I'd come right to the bar and I immediately do a shot. And, you know, <laughs> I was right, right in my pain. Um, so I, I became a talk therapist though, because I thought that's what therapy was. And, I, and you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of benefit that can still come from talk therapy. So don't get me wrong, but, um, I found that I wasn't really helping my clients the way that I really wanted to. I, you know, I often say it's like, it was like taking down a redwood tree with a spoon. It was slow and like it just, you know, we both thought that we're going to grow old together and that's the way that therapy is going to go. So I, uh, at one point in my career, I actually faced burnout very squarely right in the face. And I thought, you know, if I keep doing this work as much as I love my the work that I was doing, love my clients, I'm going to burn out and then I'm going to have to find a new career. And then I found EMDR, which is just a phenomenal type of treatment where it really accelerates the work that we can do. And I've since uh, actually increased the speed. So I, I, I do my treatment with my clients over the course of a weekend instead of two years, three years, four years. Um, so I really needed to do that to really shorten that time period because I started working with CEOs and entrepreneurs and celebrities and who didn't really have even three months to put into therapy. So that was sort of, a, a, a my latest kind of, uh, detour, but the book really came because I wanted to share the people need to know that honestly, we're all traumatized beings. We've all been through something. We've all experienced negative experiences throughout our, our childhood through our, you know, I was bullied. I was bullied as I was a kid and, uh, you know, all kinds of emotional issues growing up, addictions since I was little, you know, food, um, pop. I was addicted to TV and video games and, pornography as a child and then I grew up and it turned into drugs and alcohol and sex and you know they're just there's so much that everybody is going through it doesn't have to be my exact story but everybody's been through something and I like to say that nobody has escaped childhood unscathed so the book was really my attempt to just help people understand where are their dis- where's their distress coming from what's happening inside of them when they're feeling this high amount of anxiety. Um, it doesn't just come out of nowhere. And yes, there's a chemical component to it, but it really is starting from these earlier life experiences that, you know, people, it gets stored in the brain and people keep going back to those same experiences subconsciously really aware of what's happening, but it's coming up and, 
And so you know, I, want, I wanted to help people with a little bit of that information as to what's really happening so that people don't think that they're going crazy because you're really not. Yeah. That, you know, it's interesting how people sort of like that isolation mentality of I'm the only one who's struggling with this, dealing with this, uh, and not even just in terms of addiction, but like in terms of like mental battles of I'm the only one who probably feels this way. Even like, you know, what's even wild is like imposter syndrome. How many like people who are, they've built something so tangible and yet even they are like, man, am I an imposter? Do I really have what it takes? It's, it's amazing. You're, you're, you're exactly right. And, you know, there's two things that are really at play there. You've got the, the imposter syndrome, which comes from a negative belief about yourself. You know, I'm not good enough. I'm going to fail. I can't tell you the number of celebrities that I've worked with, professional athletes, CEOs of large corporations that struggle with imposter syndrome. Right. Yeah. You really are. You are successful. Like that is, you can't deny that. But yet there's a part of, you know, the, the system inside in, in, in their brain that just says, you know, I'm actually not good enough. If they really find out who I am, they won't like me or I won't, I won't actually fit in. I won't belong does, does it feel like people, and I don't know if it's like just a mechanism in our DNA, but it, it seems like people sort of default towards that thinking as opposed to like, I'm a badass. Like I'm amazing. Like it feels like people are having to, you have to sort of train that thinking as opposed to, you know, I don't want to be outed as a flaw, as a flawed person or as someone who's going to fail. You know, what is that from sort of this childhood trauma? Like what is, what fuels that? Well, I think a lot of that has to do with the upbringing that we have. And, And this is, you know, societal, it's cultural, it's, it's within the family culturally as well, where, um, you know, we're, we're taught from a young age to fit in. And, you know, I could even go f- so far back as to say it's evolutionary, you know, when, when we were cave people, you know, trying to survive in tribes, um, we had to fit in that particular tribe. If we stood out and we did something wrong, then we could have been exiled from that tribe, which would have meant certain death because we don't have sharp teeth. We can't run really fast. We can't come here, maybe climb a tree, uh, but pretty slowly, you know, it's, we just didn't, we don't have the, the evolutionary advantage and our advantage was groups forming tribes. So we've over time really fostered this, uh, you know, ability to attach and to want to belong within the group. So to start off one's life and say, oh, I'm a badass and I'm the best at everything, you know, you're going to get pretty, you're, you're going <laughs> to maybe have a select kind of group of friends maybe, but at the most, uh, you're most likely going to be excluded from the majority. Um, and, you know, there's, there's such, there's such a, a stigma now around narcissism and, you know, really trying, you don't want to be that person. And so it's, it's a lot of the factors all together at once. And, and then you mentioned, you know, kind of earlier there about the stigma of mental health. And, uh, you know, there, I look at, I look at narcissism as, you know, most, most people aren't born narcissists. They're not born like thinking that they're amazing. Um, it's a, it's a defense mechanism that's generated out of, early events that happened where the the child 
has to develop some kind of a thick skin, some kind of a way of thinking about themselves in order to survive in the world. Because that's really our fundamental goal. Our fundamental mission in life is just to survive. Hmm. Now, does it, you know, I, I have a four month old. So naturally I'm like, I'm like, I don't want to traumatize this girl. You know, I'm, I'm like, as trying to be a good dad, you know, protecting her, I'm like, all right, nothing bad's ever going to happen to you. And you're going to be just like, so amazing. But it, 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 I guess in some ways, it, I mean, obviously outside of like direct abuse, it feels like some of this trauma is a little bit out of our control in that it's sort of like um, just the way life goes, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know if that's like a super cynical way to view it. I just, I mean, obviously I want her to have an amazing upbringing, but I also know I can't protect her from any trauma. I don't know. I mean, what do you think? You counsel me, you know, tell me what, yeah, I'm like, you know. By the way, congratulations on the little girl. That's just uh, so beautiful. I've got a boy who's 13, almost 14 months now. Um, And I get that as a father, you just want to protect this child. And like, I'm going to put you in a bubble, you know, I'm going to put some uh, bubble tape around you and nothing's going to touch you. Um, But you you can't you, there's 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 obviously there's obviously you know the 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 main things that you can do you know try to provide you know safety within the household and and you know, obviously we're not talking about abuse and stuff like that but there there's just you know life happens and you know this person as beautiful and amazing as she is she's eventually going to go to school and then there's other families she's going to bump up against and you just never know what's going to happen. So I think that it's part of the bigger scheme of our lives that we have to face challenges. We have to face um, obstacles so that we can grow and learn. And you know, the depths of, of our pain that we experience um, often translates into the height for which we can grow. That's loosely based on a Rumi quote. But uh and if you want to get spiritual on, <laughs> which I, I am myself and I follow it, but I think about past lives and the types of experiences that you know somebody could have had, um, which shows and or allows them to kind of walk into this lifetime with certain um, certain things that they have to face and certain challenges that they have to face. But certainly from a from a you know, this just lifetime here, you know, that your child's going to grow and, and take all the wonderful messages and lessons that you're going to teach her. And as she goes through life, you know, you're always going to be, I'm assuming, because you seem like a great guy, you're always <laughs> going to be there providing some guidance, whatever she needs. And that that's the number one thing that children need is the security to know that when they stumble, which they're going to, just like we all do all the time, that there's somebody there that they can go to, that they can feel secure in, and which will provide guidance or, you know, love. And that's number one, unconditional love and security. That's what the child needs. And when I say that, I'm not talking about a, a mansion. I'm not talking about a nice car that you're going to put her in and make sure that she can pay her bills. I'm talking about emotional security where she knows that she matters, that she is worthy of love, and that she can do whatever she wants to do in her life. Mm. Capable. That's it. Now, picking up on something you said a second ago on um, 
just thinking through people going, I mean, I mean, challenge, challenges are absolutely guaranteed. They're going to happen. What, what's like the secret for someone being able to build resiliency and cause, cause think about it. it it's interesting looking at life and you take two people who go through similar circumstances and one of them, they, they either build the sense of resiliency from it, or they've already kind of acquired it beforehand where they kind of, kind of like you mentioned, it, it sort of like develops them now into this path of growth and like these new influences that they develop from it. And then you have the other person who, um, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to minimize what someone might go through in terms of a circumstance, but they never really digest it. They never really quite get past it. And they never really build that resiliency as a person to move forward. I mean, is, is that sort of out of our control? Is that contingent on the love and security our parents are giving us? Like what, how does a person build that resiliency? Yeah. Uh, great, great question. You're absolutely right. There are, you know, two different ways of, of looking at, you know, think about climbing a mountain, right? And you get halfway up and one person says, oh, we're halfway up. I can't wait to get to the top of the mountain. And the other person's like, holy crap, half a mountain. We have another half to go. Oh my God. Right. So yeah. So building that resiliency earlier on in life with security and, and, and love and, and faith in that person and her abilities or that our abilities, that's going to help with, you know, creating a, a foundation within the mind that you can build upon in the future. But when you get somebody that faces a challenge and they respond to the challenge, like it's a personal attack on their character. I'm not good enough. You see, here's that negative experience. Here we go. Here's where I lose everything. This is, this is what I knew was coming. That's all a negative belief system that's been formed earlier on in that person's lifetime. And these negative experiences, these belief systems actually don't come from the child themselves. I've never, ever, ever had a client that just spontaneously came up with a belief system themselves. This does come from the parents and it comes from the parents' parents hmm. and society that, that we live in. And all of these factors together create the, the, the environment for that person to develop this belief system. So, and it can start really, really early. It can start with, you know, falling off a bike and then instead of a parent, you know, lifting you up and saying, you can do this, keep going being like, see, told her she can't ride that bike. We should have got her the, you know, the, the, the flatter one or whatever. Um, so it's little things that can really build up. And obviously, you know, every parent has a bad day or two. <laughs> I'm panicking, man. Just li- I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to blow this. No, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Sorry. But it's, it's, it's the, it's the continual thing. So you got, yeah. so you got something called big T traumas, which are the, obvious traumatic instance like you know abuse or you know um homelessness these these types of things major issues that we experience that we could experience in life and then you have the small t traumas which are the you know constantly moving from place to place to place or you know constantly having you know parent that's berating you or constantly having um you know i would like for me i was bullied all the time in school and uh my nickname was short fat with glasses and you know, if that happened, not a very, one, not a very catchy nickname, <laughs> not really great, you know, yeah. um, 
but you know, and now I'm okay with it because you know, it, it, well, it never actually feels great thinking about that. I, I always feel sad for that younger child of mine, but I've healed that pain, so it's hurt anymore. But if I heard that one time, I would have just probably you know schlepped it off and thought mm, that person just having a bad day and go on with it. But when you're called short five classes for every single day of say 13 years or however long um, childhood school was, I started to believe that I was like, yeah, that's me. I, I am worthless. I do. I don't deserve love. This is the reason why nobody likes me because I'm fat and um, you know, I don't belong. I won't get any of the, the friendships or the, relationship partners that I want because of my body and that starts to form and then that child takes these negative beliefs into the into the the larger more adult world and then they're carrying this with them and then when an experience happens that feels the same to the brain then that particular negative belief system gets lit up in the brain it gets triggered and then suddenly we're no longer that let's say super successful a-lister celebrity you know or entrepreneur of you know an 800 person company no you are again 11 years old short fat glasses and nobody loves you mm. and it's it's I guess it's kind of wild how, so I used to be a high school teacher 10 years ago. And I remember we had this saying where anytime there was a really challenging kid, like the obnoxious, like act out of, um, just, just, you know, uh, acting incorrectly, misbehaving. I couldn't think of the word for some reason, <laughs> Mis misbehaving kid. I love the expression of there's always a reason. Yeah. Like rarely, rarely. I mean, I, I think I can think of one kid who I was like, you might be pure evil, <laughs> but like every, literally every kid is like, okay, this, the kid's acting this way because parents aren't around at home or, you know, it's just a really chaotic life, things like that. And it's almost, we, we don't necessarily give people the same grace into adulthood, but it's almost the same thing's true in that when someone's unproductive in work, when someone's, you know, not performing like they should, more often than not, there's these sort of under the surface things. And, and I guess I think one of the reasons why I really appreciate your book title is because we don't really have the mental health conversation. It's kind of like a just deal with it and get back to work or get back to the productivity I need from you uh, or find somewhere else, I guess. I don't know. I love, man, I love everything that you said there. First of all, thank you so much for your service in the educational uh, department, you know, teachers, teachers with that type of philosophy, that type of grounding in there's got to be a reason for this behavior. You're literally, you're literally doing the thing that we need more people to do of. And that, that is to love, to under unconditionally love this person and every adult, even the board members, CEOs, even even you know the the supervisor every human being that we have in this planet has been a child at some point and every child deserves love unconditionally mm -hmm. doesn't matter and so this is a conversation that doesn't happen as frequently although i really hope 
that what's going on in our world right now, um, we are facing a huge increase in mental health problems with our world. Suicide rates up, domestic violence is up, addictions are up, all kinds of things are going up right now. And this is such a, an important time where the, I think the most forward-thinking businesses are going to hold mental health in the forefront of their business plan because healthy you know, people are what drives the business. So you need to have you know, a good uh, you know, force that are, that are thinking in, you know, logically, that are feeling calm emotionally. And these are the conversations that should happen on a regular basis. I really, really, really think that there should be mental health check-ins in every corporation, every business, once a week. You should sit down with, you know, your staff and just talk what's going on for everybody. And leaders have to lead by example. You have to be transparent and share hey, so this is what I'm struggling with right now. And um, you don't have to go into a whole lot of detail, but just just kind of, I'm a human being too. And this is what I'm facing, uh, which is really cool. And this is a unique time in our, in our lives right now that's being recorded during during COVID, right? It is, is that you see online, uh, Instagram, Facebook stories and everything, you can see into a little, little snippet of that, of your boss's, um, you know, daily life, and you might see, you know, them actually, you know, not being perfect, because that's, that's really what we've had for so many years was every Instagram story was, you know, beautiful car, you know, gorgeous lady, you know, buff guy, and oh, my life is amazing. Actually, we need to be a lot more realistic, a lot more transparent about how we are displaying ourselves in the world. Let's be real. Let's, let's drop the act. Let's be real people having real conversations about real issues. Mm -hmm. So I just love that transparency. And actually that reminds me, I wanted to, to bring up that I had just listened to one of your episodes with uh, uh, Krista Mullion. Yeah, Mullion. Mullion. Yeah, yeah. What a wonderful episode. And if you guys get a chance to go back and listen to that one, it's a really, really good one. She talks about transparency and marketing. And I, it's, it's such a breath of fresh air because that, kind of transparency is what we need in our lives everywhere. Well, there's, and I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, that's good. Oh, <laughs> you know, it, the, social, and I don't necessarily want to go down the rabbit trail, but I mean, social media is so interesting because there's just so much BS that's being put out there. And that's why I loved having Krista on the show. Cause Krista as sort of a side hobby has made this, this little, um, she almost has like a folder of like people who like she not picks on, but just is like, Hey, you said this and you said you grew this business to, you know, seven figures in two weeks when actually I can see that you've been trying to build it for the last five years. You know, it's, it's just people who aren't necessarily being honest. And it's, it's, it reminds me of when my wife and I were first, we've been married for um, six years now in our first couple of years were really, really challenging. And I remember her saying, she, we had one particularly like really awful fight. And she said something like, you know, well, no one else's marriage is like this. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, babe, no one's live streaming their fight on Facebook. Like people are purposely putting up like the beautiful photos. And, and I think you're on the money talking about leadership in that a lot of bosses are so 
not just controlling over their ego, but are so uncomfortable with being vulnerable that when we have this conversation, in their mind, it's like, well, you know, what do you mean I need to have like a deep therapy session with my employee? And it's like, no, like, what would it mean just to like, like you said, be transparent and be human and, you know, man, yeah, this COVID thing is, you know, we have COVID, we have political unrest and we have an election, like, man, I'm freaking burned out and worried. And, you know, what are you thinking? How are you feeling? And I think, I think these honest conversations actually do more from like the mental health perspective than, again, a lot of times we think we need to have this really in the weeds, like bring a box of Kleenex. Um, and it's almost, it's kind of funny because I'll talk to some leaders who are like, you mean I need to like schedule time to talk to my people each week? And I'm like, yeah, is that, is that inconvenient? Like, is that hard? And I don't know. It's, I, I feels like we're seeing a retooling a little bit of how leadership's done the right way. I, yeah, absolutely. Congratulations, by the way, on the six years of marriage. It's wonderful. Yeah, she couldn't um, find anyone else. So <laughs> I was kidding. I was kidding. Don't analyze that, com- that <laughs> comment. It's just a joke. <laughs> leave it there. <laughs> um, but uh, you're, yeah, it's, it's, you know, uh, yes, I think that on a regular basis, it doesn't necessarily have to be weekly. It could be monthly. It could be, you can make it your own, I think, as business leaders. Um, but anybody who we're looking up to, I consider a leader. It could be an influencer on social media. It could be you know, a, an actor, director, could be an athlete. All these people that we look up to, these are the, these are the people that are the children look up to and follow. And so when somebody like, uh, I just, something's coming to my mind right now, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Dwayne Johnson, they both did some videos about mental health and about COVID. And, you know, these are, these are the messages that we need to see in the world more frequently. We need to see people that we look up to making themselves a little bit more like anybody else. Human. They're human. Yeah. So when that CEO thinks, I don't have time for humans, I don't have time for my staff. I don't have time for that airy fairy bullshit. Sorry for putting that out. <laughs> I'm that out. Um, but people have uh, said much worse on my podcast. Okay, that's good. So okay, <laughs> where are my boundaries and the squares? Yeah. Um, that you're you're essentially saying that you just don't have time for relationships, and relationships, in my opinion, are the number one factor that drives business. You build relationships with people that can take you further. You build, and then you also build relationships with people that you want to help bring up. It's always a, a, a two-way street. You have to lift up and then get up with some help. Nobody does this on their own. So unfortunately, what, you know, what I've seen with my clients and what I see in a lot of magazines, I just it's been our culture for 20, 30 years now, right? When you think about businessmen, you think about the stiff upper lip, you think, and again, businessmen, look at that masculine, right? There's still this culture where there's, you know, business CEOs are men and they're, they don't talk about feelings and right. they don't have time. And this is absolutely outdated. Like it is such an antiquated way of doing business where there's the masculine energy, which is I'm going to tear you down so I can step up, right? This is like, business is war and it really shouldn't be that way. I think what we're, what we're hopefully seeing more and more now, which I think is the case with more and more female leaders, uh, especially people with of color, we need to have everybody become on the same page 
where you're having real conversations about matters that are universal and to be honest and transparent with each other to actually invite everybody every part every employee of your business is part of the same business and everybody's opinion should matter it should all be taken into account and to look up and see your big time ceo come and be a human being with you for 15 minutes you know or just shoot a facebook live and talk to your employees right or or a little video and just show hey this is what's going on had a bad weekend hopefully everybody's doing well let me know yeah. like that even that would be enough just to get the ball rolling and um, it's it's been a bit interesting to see the disconnect with like the old guard like that masculine you know, put up or shut up type thinking. And it's funny how even it's, it's kind of guided some of the leadership conversations on, frankly, what's wrong with millennials and why are millennials so hard to manage? When I'm of the opinion, it's really not about millennials. It's actually about this, this culture, this dated culture that simply can't adapt, you know, because millennials don't put up with that kind of stuff, you know? And so, but instead of being like, oh, I need to change with the times, it's, you know, something's wrong with them or they don't have what it takes or, you know, and there's no shortage of now like millennial content. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just interesting. We, we are running out of time. I want to ask you about something else real quick. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously we're, we've talked a little bit about trauma and like navigating sort of like how we sort of digest these things that are internal to us. It, it feels like rather than being introspective, people look to, what they do as the solution to their trauma, meaning speaking specifically about entrepreneurship. It's amazing to me how many people jump into the realm of entrepreneurship, business ownership. Uh, I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to, you know, trailblaze into the startup world. And it's really less about the customer. It's less about a genuine solution to a problem and it's all the more about their identity. And I think this is where you find like entrepreneurship become very sexy. And it's like, you know, and I've even seen people have been like, you know, I can't, if I fail at this, I can't, I don't know who I would, how I would face my family. You know, it's, it's very much this, now the stigma around being an entrepreneur. And it's, I don't know, what's your take on all that? So much ego, so much ego. It's all about me. And this is, this, this is a wounded way of living life, right? Like I need to become this, sexy entrepreneur with all the money so that people can finally like me. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And what it's really about what you're talking about, the real entrepreneurship is I see people struggling and suffering. How can I make the world a better place? How can I take what I've learned and help other people? That's where it should come from. And this is, this is selflessness. And that's, that's what love is about. That's actually what the world needs more of, in my opinion, is love. We need, we need to actually first do our work on ourselves because we have to heal our wounds or we're going to take them into the world and then basically spread it all over the world, right? And cause more damage that way. So we need to do our own healing. And then once we've healed think, wow, and this is where so much, so many entrepreneurs that I've worked with, um, 
have used their pain and now they've healed that pain as a springboard for deeper meaning in their life and in the work because they know what it feels like to let's say you know struggle with money and they know what it feels like to to be poor and so now with with what they've learned what they've what they've healed from now their mission is to i'm gonna i'm gonna make sure that there's less homelessness on this planet i'm gonna make sure that i can make people some some decent incomes and and share what i know not from a place of i'm going to show you how much better i am and you want to look like me and be like me right that's the ego narcissist kind of approach to let's see how we can all be be the same be at the same table and share and break bread together right so what does it take for someone on that journey because i'll never forget this um hbr study that talks about the number of people who are actually self-aware is only around 10 to 15%. So talking about this journey of self-awareness, like how, how does someone who's maybe they're wounded, they're hurt. And, and I, and, and again, actually assuming all of us are wounded and hurt in some way, how do we venture on that journey of self-awareness to really healing it and, and cleaning ourselves up a little bit so that we can be more, productive and transformative and creating real change rather than just, you know, change that strokes our ego. I mean, what does that look like for someone? It's a great question. It's going to be a little bit different for everybody because everybody's journey is a little bit unique, right? Um, But it's so necessary to do. So, you know, number one, you need to take your mental health and your own self-awareness, your, your, inner self that self-growth needs to be paramount needs to be one of the most important parts of your development as a human being let alone an entrepreneur got to do it so a lot of people can start just immediately on your own start to meditate just look it up you know i i can show you i can give you some resources like it is so you just type meditation in youtube how to meditate boom you're going to get like a zillion different you know, ways to do it. It might seem a bit strange at first for if you've never even tried it, but this is something where you can begin to observe yourself. You have to observe how you are reacting in your world. What is going on for you? If you want to speed things up, therapy, right? This is really important. Um, and you can do it a number of different ways, right? There's coaching where you can get kind of help on a specific issue into a specific area of your life. And, you know, there's some great work you can do there. You can do therapy, which obviously I'm biased towards. Um, And then you can do intensive therapy where that's what I do for my clients. One weekend, eliminating the negative belief structure that's holding your behavior in place. Depend, regardless of, it's really about the speed that you want to go at. How serious is this to you? Do you want to go fast? Do you want to make this, in some ways, it's always going to be a lifelong journey. There's always going to be new growth periods to to reach and and new insights and new levels to get to but you can start very easy just starting to meditate like just do five minutes a day that will start you're going to begin to change some things you're going to start to notice start to notice how a particular incident makes you feel about yourself before you know, immediately attacking somebody else which is so often like you said it's not my fault it's them it's the Dar millennial, right? <laughs> yeah. This is this is really about you. This is about your own ego. It's the 
inability to, to think about, to empathize with that other individual. So there's always two people that are involved in any discussion, right? Any, any issue. So sometimes I get people that, you know, are a little bit rough on me and my posts and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I do notice that the initial, how dare you tell, tell me I'm X, Y, and Z, right? But we need to go past that. And so to think about in any situation, how can you share love? How can you love that person? Just like you said, with being a, your past being a teacher, what's going on for that individual to make them react that way? Hmm. And so if you can learn, and that, this takes time, if you can learn how to actually park your ego, actually not let it affect you and, and run the show, if you can understand that somebody's behavior is really not about you, it's mm -hmm. about them. It's about what they've experienced in their lives. Mm. So meditation is a great way to start. You can even do prayer. It doesn't matter what you do. You can, you can meditate by going for long walks in the woods. You can meditate by, you know, um, stirring a, a pot of soup. Like you can meditate. <laughs> Sure. any way you want it's yeah. really helpful and you know you can start journaling if you've got nothing else just start journaling about your thoughts what's going on for you these are the easiest ways to start and there's all kinds of apps that you can get as well you yeah. know but you just got to start yeah. you just have to jump in at some point powerful stuff man hey what what can my listeners do to continue to engage with you to follow you um what, what's the next step um, I'd love that. Honestly, that'd be really great. And I welcome any, any connection, any feedback, any conversations. Really cool. I love it. Um, Grigor counseling is my website. Um, that's with two L's cause I'm up in Canada. Um, and also Instagram Grigor counseling and you've got Facebook Grigor counseling and, um, Twitter. I'm info Grigor on that one. All right. Well, Robert, it was great having you today. I really appreciate it. Love it. Thank you so much, Blake. And thank you again for having me in your ears. Have a great day, everybody. Yeah. For our listeners, hey, if you enjoyed this episode, which why the heck wouldn't you, make sure you click that subscribe button so you keep getting great advice straight to your ears wherever you are. Also, make sure you leave us a five-star review. And of course, I will put Robert's bio link and where you can get his book, You Need Therapy, down in the episode description. Make sure you pick that up because, hey, we probably all could use a little bit of therapy. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you later. See ya.